two years in general. And we farm at Golden Vineyards Heart Arrow Ranch, which is um, an organic and biodynamic vineyard and olive orchard um, in Mendocino County. And um, it's a total of over 1,100 acres. Um, and we have a unique partnership with the landowners, the Goldens, um, where we, Mendocino Organics has integrated its operation into the entire ranch. The ranch is called Heart Arrow Ranch, and um, it has a history of sheep and cattle grazing, um, and there's an 80-acre deer-fenced area where all the kind of developed crop growing goes on. So tell us about um, the landscape there and, and what, what kind of summer you've been having. Sure. Um, well, we've, the ranch and where we farm is um, on a ridge above uh, Redwood Valley in inland Mendocino County. And um, the soil here is very unstable. Um, we have a vegetable garden that's on very not flat land. Um, and it's summer. We're in the middle of summer, so it's very dry. Um, I think we had a tiny bit of rain back in maybe April. I can't even remember now. Um, but basically, we have a winter and a summer. Um, we don't really have much of a spring or fall. And in the winter, it rains a lot. And in the summer, it's, it doesn't rain at all. Um, and in some, some ways, our winter and summer is reversed from um, your winter and summer on the East Coast because all the growing happens in the winter and in the summer, um, you know, unless you have irrigation, nothing is really growing here. But you're not hibernating, Paula. You're one of the hardest workers I know. <laughs> Well, yeah. Um, I mean, even though it's dry, it's beautiful out, and um, we have irrigation, we have water, and so we're able to grow produce and raise livestock. Uh, so water is pretty important here, and fortunately for us, the landowners um, with their vineyard and olives, they have... Um, four irrigation ponds, very not cheap. <laughs> so someone else spent the money in, in putting in these irrigation ponds, and basically in the winter when it's raining, um, the ponds fill with water, and then there, there are a few springs around that help keep the, um, the ponds topped off. But basically um, when it's dry, that's what we depend on for irrigation. So in in our in our on our side of the country we've had horrendous flooding and rain and wet and cold that's made us um, that's been really a, suffer, a source of suffering um, for our tomatoes especially. Um, have you had your kind of equivalent trauma is the forest fires and I know last year you were facing forest fires. What's the what's the story um, this year? Um, this year we're crossing our fingers that it's not going to be as bad as last year, um, but until 
the fall rains come, and if they come, um, we're still in, there's still a risk. Um, I think last year over 1. or around 1.6 million acres were burning, um, over 100 wildfires at the same time. Um, I remember um, there was a lightning storm at the end of May last year that really set the wildfires off. Um, you know, there was a storm, but no or hardly any rain. And with it being so dry, um, there's a lot of fire fuel around. And so um, it was bad. There, it, it was incredibly smoky. Um, I remember having to wear a mask outside if I wanted to work. Um, and some days you couldn't really work outside for very long. And um, some people think that the smoke from last year actually affected things like the tomato crops because there wasn't as much sunlight. Um, and then interestingly, this year, um, all the wine grapes have been affected where in some wines, um, if you didn't go through this expensive process of kind of cleaning your grapes, um, you can taste the smoke. Wow. So, so here you are up on the hills overlooking the most beautiful landscape um, of, of Northern California, the dun-colored hills, and you're farming um, appropriately um, in the winter. And maybe you could explain your um, winter CSA because it's something that hasn't quite hit the East Coast yet um, in the same way. Sure. Um, well, it's funny because one of our kind of Bibles or references for our winter gardening or farming has been Elliot Coleman's um, uh, Four Season Harvest. Um, we use a lot of techniques from his book. Um, but basically, um, our winter CSA runs from the first week of December through the last week of April, and we're kind of partnered with a spring-summer-fall CSA in our county uh, where our season starts when theirs ends and ends when ours starts. So ideally, we would kind of share membership, actually, where, where folks would have a year-round CSA. Um, so with the winter CSA, basically, as soon as summer solstice hits and the days start to get a little shorter gradually, um, we're already kind of on top of getting the, the ground ready, starting plants, planting, um, and we really strive for our winter CSA to provide a hearty array of different vegetables um, that would be kind of reminiscent of what we, you know, what people ate before supermarkets. Um, so we're growing a lot of storage crops like winter squash and potatoes and um, onions, garlic, which require a lot of um, thinking ahead and starting before most people probably are even thinking about the winter CSA. Um, I mean, the winter squash will harvest before before. December, obviously, and kind of hold on to it 
for our members. Um, and then we grow a lot of root crops, um, heading brassicas. They did really well. Last year was our first season, and it was a bit of an experiment to see um, how things would kind of go through the dead of winter, you know, because at winter solstice, you know, the days are extremely short, and so nothing is really growing much, and a lot of our vegetables just kind of stay in storage out in the field. It was interesting to see, like, our broccoli and cauliflower overwinter, um, and we didn't need a whole lot of crop protection. Um, we have a lot of birds, a lot of wildlife, so we use row cover primarily to protect our young plants from getting eaten by birds. Um, but frost, where we are at a high elevation, um, frost isn't a problem, really. It hardly ever goes below 30 where we are. Um, but down in the valley where we're overlooking, it, frost is a real issue. So local people can't necessarily grow their own winter vegetables. And do vegetables. you find a frosty reception for this um this concept, uh, this very wonderful CSA concept, um, is there is there buy-in in the community, or is there is there a challenge um, convincing people to think that far ahead? Um, yes, it's been a challenge. Our first year, we were a little disappointed. Um, we thought that we had we would have great demand um, for our winter CSA, um, just because it's a pretty progressive community here and there was the other CSA that we're partnering with that has good membership um, but this year um, in terms of signups and more importantly deposits and payments were ahead from where we were this time of this time last year um, so I think it, it's that there's definitely an educational thing that has to happen. I mean, that's part of your job as a farmer, uh, working or selling directly to customers. And so um, this year, uh, with our members last year and in trying to recruit new CSA members, I have had to spend a lot of time on marketing, basically, and explaining, um, you know, how growing winter produce is much different from spring and summer produce. Um, and in general, I think people don't, just don't know how much it really costs to farm. <laughs> and, and would you say that you're currently um, financially sustainable? Um, it depends on when you ask us, but right now I think so. Um, <laughs> we... Have, we know that there are people out there who are going to be signing up, and so we're kind of betting on, you know, receivables <laughs> that will be coming in. Um, but ultimately, um, we do need to scale up, basically. We have a kind of five-year plan, and we're entering year two of that five-year plan. Uh, where we basically want to be growing more food and selling more food. <laughs> um, we want to be able to hire people to work with us, for us. 
Um, we still need to acquire more equipment um, where we can get to that scale. And, you know, with economies of scale be turning a real profit, we have an, a few, a handful of loans from um, community members that we are still in the process of paying back. Um, so I think we're on the... We're, on, we're, on, we're in a good place on the path toward what I would like to have our business be as a sustainable, viable model. So now, um, I think you're get, I think you're going to get there, Paula. I have every <laughs> confidence in you, Paula. Um, Paula, it's not you alone, though. Let's talk a little bit about um, your farming partner and and what it's like to be partners with the person that you're working. Um, sometimes ten hours a day with. Yeah, um, you can my say nice partner. And, <laughs> oh. Or you can say also um, a little mixture. <laughs> um, it has its pluses and benefits. I mean, uh, pluses and minuses. <laughs> no, it's all it's all you know, a paradise. Um, my partner Adam Gaska. He is a native of Redwood Valley. He grew up around here, and he. I entered into a partnership with him um, after he had already been farming for a few years. Um, so his business was already established. He already ha had a reputation here, a good reputation. Um, so that's been good. Sometimes I feel like, though, I'm still trying to prove myself as a farmer here when people hear Mendocino Organics. They know Adam, but they might not necessarily know that I'm the other half of the operation now. Um, but it's really great working with him just because of his experience. Um, he has so much knowledge inside of him, and um, he loves to talk, and so I'm always learning something new. Um, and it can be difficult. Um, this past year and, you know, we're still in the process of figuring out how the two of us work best and in terms of communication and division of labor. Um, actually, I'll, I'll go, you know, half the day or more working by myself, honestly, because he's dealing with the animals with one thing or other and I'm in the garden. Um, so we're actually not in each other's spaces um, 12 hours a day. <laughs> Um, but it works pretty well. I have more of the administrative, organizational skills um, in our partnership. Um, he definitely has more of, uh, he's stronger physically, so he's the one who's able to use the walk-behind tractor and do a lot of the super heavy lifting. Um, so we complement each other that way. And, and you both are um, engaged uh, independently in off-farm um, organizational work. Do you want to um, explain a little bit about the biodynamic role and, and the Mendocino Renegades? Sure. Which, um, by the way, isn't it amazing? Here you guys are working your little butts off up in the middle of the hills, and you still make time to come down from the hills and engage with these institutions that um, support the organic movement. It's really it's really championship work. 
Yeah, I, I mean, honestly, I feel like I need that balance, too, for me to um, still engage in something that I'm passionate about, but do it with other people who are also passionate about it. Otherwise, I don't know if I'd really have much of a social life. <laughs> um, but, yeah, um, my, my partner, Adam, is, has been involved with the Mendocino Organic Network um, since he's been farming, I think. Um, they were really instrumental in um, getting a proposition passed or a measure here in our county passed banning um, GMO uh, propagation, any kind of GMO growing. Um, so that's been really amazing. And then the other thing that um, the Mendocino Organic, Organic Network does and um, what Adam helps with is their Mendocino Renegade program, which is an independent certification group. Um, it was born out of a reaction to the NOP uh, standards and, you know, a bunch of growers here were feeling like um, the federal government, you know, took the word organic and kind of co-opted its greater meaning and um, basically the group Mendocino Renegade uh, represents um, kind of stricter standards. Um, there are a handful of materials that NOP allows that Renegade does not allow. Um, and it's more of a collaboration among the local growers here. And it's also not as expensive as organic certification. So Adam um, actually worked to get our local food co-op to accept Mendocino Renegade certified um, produce. Um, they have a really strict um, merchandising policy where they only source organic produce. Um, but a lot of the small local growers here um, can't afford organic certification and or they feel more strongly about the renegade standards and so they opt for renegade certification and um, Adam has been serving on the board of directors of the local food co-op for a number of years now and that was one of the um, achievements um, he has made which I think has has so supported it seems local like this, food. It's such a, it's such a um, it's such a challenge and yet such an opportunity to engage with these uh, logistics and new institutions and new certifications and figuring out how to make the matrix work in terms of the certification and the getting the produce from point A to point B and getting the consumers of the produce um, on board with the program and the farmers on board with the program and everybody talking to each other. and um, So much of that work is unglamorous and invisible. Um, and yet so deeply critical. Um, we have to take a little break and listen to some music. Um, it gives me a chance once again to thank Paula. But we're going to be back after the music to talk more about biodynamics and the future of agriculture.
Hello, and welcome back to Greenhorn Radio. My name is Severin. I'm your host. This week and every week, I'm the director of the Greenhorns Project, which is a small farm-based nonprofit up in the Hudson Valley that works nationally to promote, recruit, and support young farmers all over the country. I'm on the phone today with Paula Monolo, who's been involved with the Greenhorns uh, since the very beginning and who is farming in Mendocino. Um, she runs a CSA with her partner, Adam, and she's also on the board of the Biodynamic Association. Paula, would you mind uh, starting out with what is biodynamic farming? Sure. Um, biodynamic agriculture is a kind of sustainable farming that um, it values not only biodiversity and soil fertility, but also community, beauty, and wisdom, I feel. Um, it's a type of, um, yeah, eco-friendly agriculture that in some people say predated um, the organic movement. Um, it was born out of um, some lectures or indications that Rudolf Steiner, a scientist and philosopher, gave back in 1924. Um, Rudolf Steiner had a lot of ideas on, you know, how we could, how Western culture, I guess, could be better, how we can live our lives better, whether it's education, dance, and art, and agriculture was one of those. Um, and so biodynamic farming um, has a few uh, main principles. Um, one, the farm, you look at the farm as a self-contained organism um, where you're trying as much as possible to um, create as much of the soil fertility on a farm so you're not importing fertilizers or other um, inputs. Uh, you want to do that as little as possible. Um, so livestock is also really key in a, on a biodynamic farm. Um, so biodynamic farms are really diverse. Um, you depend on the, basically the manure um, from the animals for fertility. Um, we also do cover cropping and um, composting is really key. Um, and then with biodynamic farming, you're also trying to relate um, the ecology of the earth with that of the cosmos because um, you're trying to... Um, you're trying to nurture not only the kind of earthly and tangible physical parts of the farm, you know, the soil, the animals, the crops, the wildlife, um, but also the kind of life forces or more etheric qualities um, of a farm. And so with biodynamics, you utilize these preparations, they're called, for the compost and for the soil um, where you use different herbs and um, minerals um, that ferment and they're kind of like amendments. Um, and that's what uh, Rudolf Steiner's lectures um, and indications developed into these biodynamic preparations. 
So in, in biodynamic agriculture, um, there's this kind of fabulous imagery of um, concentric circles of energy that are emanating from these farms, and the, the food and the flowers and the, and the energy and the generosity of the farm expands out into the community. And um, it's, a wonderful, it's a wonderful truth about agriculture in general that there is this um, pulse, um, kind of energetic pulse coming from the farm. And the people who congregate, the community that, that evolves around the farm, feel that um, energy and are attracted to it. Um, but then what does it mean to have um, a group like the Biodynamic Association? What role do they play in connecting those um, those pulses to each other, and where and where 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 is that association going in the future? Yeah, um, well, the mission of the association is to nurture the biodynamic movement through education, research, and development. Um, we work closely with um, other national biodynamic organizations like um, Demeter USA, which is the only certifying agency for biodynamic farms, um, and there's the trade association, and there's um, the Josephine Porter Institute uh, for making the compost preparations, and a lot of regional groups. Um, and so, right now, the the association is kind of in a new formative period. Um, it was kind of stagnant for a little bit, and now we're trying to really, yeah, as you say, connect people. Um, we want to be able to support the regional groups, um, whether it's just organizationally or figuring out best practices and um, trying to get people to, in these different um, biodynamic initiatives, whether it's the apprenticeship program or the prep making group um, to kind of work together um, more fluidly. Um, and we want to do that with um, our journal. We have a quarterly journal where, which is kind of like a newsletter, kind of like a magazine where people can hear from each other and see what other people are up to. Um, and also be a connector for uh, what's going on internationally in the biodynamic movement. Um, uh, hopefully, you know, we'll be able to do more in education, whether it's, you know, supporting other kind of education-oriented initiatives like the, the National Apprenticeship Program. Um, and... Yeah, right now we're doing a lot of just kind of reorganizing within uh, the association. Um, that, and that includes also doing a lot of fundraising so that we can get some of these initiatives going. Um, and how do people connect? Um, say I wanted to get an, a subscription to the magazine. How would I become um, a member? You can visit the website, um, www.biodynamics.com, and there should be a, an easy link there. Um, it's an annual membership right now. Um, you know, you can check back there um, 
for archives of the journal um, and stay in the loop of whatever um, events that um, or conferences that we might be helping or helping get off the ground or um, hosting. So well, it's one, kind of one, one such of, um, educational program that I know about that's happening in, in the Hudson Valley is the Hudson Valley Farm Beginnings Program, and that's um, eight-week Saturday course for young, new, beginning, and transition farming farmers who um, come to Hawthorne Valley Farm, which is slightly north of me in Ghent, New York, for sessions um, moderated by Hawthorne Valley Farm, but uh, presented by really fabulous farmers from all over New England. Uh, it's a training course that that helps young farmers with um, goal setting and business planning and negotiating their um, land tenure agreements with their landlords and um, other such very important um, and sometimes slightly uh, overlooked um, aspects of getting a successful farm off the ground. And so that's a course that you can learn much more about by visiting the Hawthorne Valley Farm website. Um, but there is such a wealth of resources at the Biodynamics website and the books that are available online about biodynamic farming. And a wonderful book I recommend as well is um, called Becoming a Biodynamic Farmer or a Gardener, which again um, serves as a guide um, as you enter your thinking about um, professional engagement in sustainable agriculture how to, how to um, approach your mentorship, how to uh, approach your apprenticeship, how to approach your mentors with humility and respect, um, knowing that you know, for the first few weeks at least you are actually much more of a pain than you are a help, um, and figuring out how to be the best learner that you can be um, while also contributing to, to the farm that you're, that you're living on. So these are all um, the kinds of resources that exist that are an expression of the very holistic um, understanding that these wonderful biodynamic people have of the role of agriculture um, in culture and the restorative qualities that agriculture can bring to um, the people who, who practice it. Paula, I thank you so much um, for coming on the show today, and I wonder if you couldn't just plug um, uh, your website and, and the Renegade website one, one time before we go. Sure. Um, you can learn more about uh, Mendocino Renegade at www.mendocinorenegade.com, and you can visit um, Adams and my farm at mendoorganicscsa.wordpress.com. Fabulous. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Um, this has been another half hour with the Greenhorns. We are located up at Smithereen Farm, and next weekend, the 29th and 30th of August, we're having our watermelon moonshine party. Um, if you don't already know about it, you better get on the blog and read about it. It's a two-day uh, campout with uh, Bring Your Own Carcass Barbecue. We're going to be roasting uh, Muscovy ducks and chickens and if you have and rabbits. And we'll have workshops on spinning, beekeeping, herbal salve making, ricotta making, marketing, we already said that, 
And um, the Rude Mechanical Orchestra will play on Saturday night, followed by two electronic uh, DJs. It's going to be fun for the whole family, um, and we'll do a lot of weeding, I hope. So www.thegreenhorns.wordpress.com. Thank you so much um, to Paula and to all the young farmers, both listeners and practitioners. Um, we hope that you will continue listening, and if you have something to say that you want to say on the radio, please get in touch. Um, we want to make sure to represent your issues here and now, and thank you so much to Hearst Ranch. See you next week. <laughs>